welcome to Hot Girl Healing. Today we have Rachel Godfrey with us, an amazing, talented writer, poet, community worker, um, just person in general. I know Rachel from college, so we go that far back, like a couple years ago, <laughs> we're young. Um, but yeah, Rachel, how are you? I am fantastic, actually. Um, I've had a really, just a really fun day. Um, and I've been, I'm so excited. I'm just excited to be here with you as a Hot Girl Healing fan. <laughs> yes, a whole two episode fan. <laughs> That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, really. It's like a drug after. Um, well, I'm so excited to have you. And I love reading your stuff and just I mean the stuff you post on like your Instagrams and you always make new Instagrams I'm like oh my god yes a new a new a new project every five seconds yeah <laughs> yeah so I want to know what this past I mean we say past year but it's been way more than a year now like this past pandemic era has been for you um yeah just what has it been for you yeah um well lockdown actually started on my birthday <laughs> oh my god was um, it march march 14th yeah mm -hmm. uh, it's like yeah. i remember i know the day yeah lockdown started <laughs> on my birthday so that was a little i was a little strange um yeah. but it was at the top i feel as if that was a completely different life a different person um it was just very very different I was still in New Jersey and I'm in Philadelphia now mm. and I was really that wasn't even that was like the beginning of me being at my most depressed and then like with most people it like went yeah. all the way <laughs> mm -hmm. all the way down but um that was like the beginning because I was just thinking this is my birthday I'm not really happy about where I am in my life right now um mm. like I have a lot of people that love me and I love them but it just doesn't I don't feel like myself mm. um but over the over the last two years oh, oh my god over the <laughs> over <laughs> over the last two years I have really realized how much um I take I take people for granted um mm. and I I say that as um as something that I'm grateful to have realized now, I realize that I, I'm someone who needs people and who needs mm. to be around people, who needs to be talking to people often, as often as possible. And before the before the pandemic, before lockdown, I was like, I was very much on my, I need to focus on myself. I need to like be by mm. myself, I need to isolate. But um, when not not having the choice to be around people really showed me that that I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Do that. So what kind of person would you describe yourself now versus when the pandemic started? Um, someone who realizes that you don't not everything has to do with um, work on you and oh. and um, yeah, I'm someone who feels more capable of reaching out to people not only for things like for helper, but just to talk and mm. just to just to like sit on the phone with someone in silence and do other stuff. Mm. Um, or I, I don't, I'm not as scared to burden people with myself. 
Um, yeah. I'm not as a, I'm not like, oh, if I reach out to this person, they're not going to wait. They're not going to want to hang out with me, but they're going to do it because they feel obligated. Uh, I don't, I don't feel that anymore. I just trust that if someone doesn't want to hang out with me or can't, they'll just tell me the truth. <laughs> so, so also a much more trusting person. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. takes a lot because people, I think people aren't honest with themselves. So they expect mm-hmm. others not to be honest with them. Exactly. And that's, I've learned yeah, that's something you just have to get over and just trust that people will be honest with you because you can't you can't know what they're thinking unless they communicate. Exactly. And you just gotta and you have to be, I mean, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of confidence, I guess, to be like, mm. if this person, if this person feels a way about me or they just don't want to talk about me, I just have to believe that they're going to they're gonna do they're gonna say what they need to say and I'm gonna be okay. Mm. Either way, yeah. So with the that description that you have of yourself now, what was the person that you were March 14th, 2020? Terrified to talk to anyone, which mm-hmm. is so, I think a lot of people see me as being really extroverted. And mm-hmm. um, I think I can be, but I'm very much to myself. And I'm also, someone actually called me out on this once and I it was absurd and they were like mm-hmm. um Rachel I feel like you know for someone who is so who's so vulnerable online I feel like I know nothing about you <laughs> that is funny I was like when it when they said it I was minding my business doing homework and I was like why would you say that to me like what did I ruin my day exactly and I thought about it and I was like, I am so calculated and I'm very much a share what I want people or I was a share what I want people. Sorry, that was a little. Sorry, it was a dry. <laughs> it was a good. Um, I'm, I was very much a share what I want people to see me as. I mean, a lot mm. of people do that, but I definitely was yeah. doing it in a way that was obsessive, like super mm. obsessive. Of, yeah. I, want some, I want people to see me as, um, as empowered and as um has like got her shit together and mm. all this stuff and in some ways I do and it was honest but it definitely was it was too strategic it was way mm. too strategic and I'm like you're not you're a human being not a brand why are you mm. <laughs> treating your life like this <laughs> mm. what what made I mean what was the shift that happened like when did you realize you were doing that and and that you what made you decide to stop doing that um I don't, I don't know if it was really a decision as much it, as much as it was a, I don't have the capacity to, yeah. to do this, uh, this brand marketing for myself yeah. <laughs> anymore. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the relationship dynamics that I didn't like about friendships and like romantically, because um, there was, there was just so much going on, so much tension, so much fighting, so mm-hmm. much, um, just so much bad shit that like no blame on anyone but just um just definitely miscommunications you know all the mm-hmm. stuff that really fucks over relationships and I think all of that just made me be like I feel like I can't express what I'm going through to anyone mm-hmm. um because because I, I'm too scared to reach out to people I mm-hmm. am I think that like a lot of this is my fault and I don't want anyone to think that I'm like shitty for for it but um just realizing that I was there, I was holding in too much and that I didn't know mm-hmm. what, what to do with all of it. Um, it was mm-hmm. really, it was really, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So 
when you you say like you know you were dealing with depression at the beginning of the pandemic and then it just obviously like a lot of people experienced to just kind of go even deeper yeah. um was that what was that experience in relation to this transformation that you had between like you couldn't bear it anymore it sounds like and then you kind of transformed yeah like maybe it wasn't a decision as much as like you needed to in order to keep you know being yourself and being your truer self what do you can you describe I guess maybe that experience yeah um so I feel I mean pre pre like that time pre March 14th 2019 I was already depressed so <laughs> it wasn't like a new thing but I felt as if I was coming out of a depressive period and and then I was seeing like little glimpses of hope you know mm. and then it felt like I had just gone back like like it, I was just right where I started and yeah. then even further down <laughs> yeah um and so I feel like that little the little glimpse of hope I had in between um like around senior year of college and mm. and the and lockdown starting I feel like I really held on to those and there'd be moments where I'd be like I'm over everything I don't know how to make I'm not making sense of anything I don't know who I am I don't know what mm. all of that I was just I would have these little glimpses of hope and I'd be like there has to be there has to be something that's going to keep me going mm. <laughs> what was that what was that um people that's the thing mm, this people. That's people. just like I'd be, I'd be talking to my friends and I wouldn't be telling them a major I would be like oh I'm not feeling too great or um but I wouldn't mm. tell them the extent of the shit that I was going through mm. and but then I would I would be so excited to hear about them and I'd be like mm. I want to know like what you're feeling how like what are you going through right now mm. and hearing hearing that just wanting to be there for my friends or wanting to witness my friends do cool shit really mm. really helped me helped me a lot yeah. yeah that's amazing so the people were the the kind of almost a, a tether back to your real self that was like in peace almost whereas yeah. you I, like it sounds like when you were on your own you couldn't find that and they were kind of a connection back so and it's the it's the kind of thing of like you know you see you see things in the people you love that you really want in yourself you don't always realize mm. that um and mm. they, they see it in you too so I feel like me seeing um I feel like me seeing all these things I loved about my friends and my family and like my romantic partner I feel mm. like all those things ended up coming back to me where I'd be mm. like so excited to see these things for myself I'm so excited to explore with myself it definitely mm. it definitely ended up coming back to me very naturally mm. and did the did your creative work uh come into part of this kind of journey during this time yeah absolutely but more recently I think when I moved mm. to Philadelphia um, cause when I was still in New Jersey, I was, I felt like I was making some strides creatively, not even in terms of, um, visibility or money or anything, but mm. just feeling like, oh, maybe, maybe writing is something that I can do mm. for a career. Maybe this mm. is something that is not just a dream. Mm. I was starting to have those realizations. And then when I got to Philly, I felt like I had the time, the space, I had a, a job. So it made it feel mm. like I have the money to also focus on writing like I could make I could schedule around that and make time for writing um mm. 
so so yeah it definitely took some it took some time but once yeah. I got the space it felt like I could use writing to to make sense of shit around me and how did you make sense of it um, what did it reveal to you that I so like so one thing is how you were saying earlier like the the new Instagrams probably <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am someone who is, I have an idea and I'm like, this is a fantastic idea. So mm. I'm going to do something with this. And I'm so good at that. I'm so, and I pride myself on that. I'm amazing mm. at being like, fuck what people think I'm going to start this. It's that mm. follow through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the follow through. Cause I get in my own head and I'm like, um, I'm like, why did you even start this idea? What was, why is this even important for the world right now? Mm. Like, well, like people are going through shit and you want to be talking about fucking music. Mm. <laughs> you want to be talking about music. You're talking about sex and people are like, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then I, I had to take a moment and, and do a few things. One, I realized I had to slow down and be like, okay, which of these projects are um, things I actually want to dedicate my time to? what can I dedicate my, like, what do I actually have the time to do? Yeah. And then how can I, cause I feel like each idea I've had, whether it be like, um, like blog stuff or, or um, interview projects, all, all that kind of stuff. Mm. There's elements of it that I want to keep and that I can elements that will come across in all of my work. Like wanting to highlight emerging artists is mm. going to be something I want to do for everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't have to just completely throw that idea away. So I had to definitely pick and choose um, from projects, things I wanted to keep. And then I had to just, I had to, yeah, I started looking at my, my like spread out interests, not as a, um, as a wow, Rachel, you can't decide anything. And more of like, wow, look how many outlets that you have, how many interests mm. you have. And look how many interests that you're willing to put the time and love into. Like, that is amazing that's yeah. amazing um mm -hmm. so yeah so I, I stopped looking at at my spread out creativity as a as a weakness and definitely yeah. as a trend mm. and where do you see it going I guess now mm -hmm. um in terms of <laughs> you know I'm like I guess that's all I'm really asking it's just like I mean just just you know you saw that maybe it was all scattered and you, that the, the, the judgment you put on it was like, oh, this is all scattered. And then you changed that. And you said, no, this says something about me that I can use yeah. uh, to tell kind of a story that maybe other people wouldn't, wouldn't tell it the same way. Yeah. So where do you see that story going now in the yeah. present time? Um, and well, when I think about writing specifically, mm -hmm. I realized one of the beautiful things about writing is you can write about anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, realizing um and something that's so important with freelance writing and with journalism I think is people always tell you you need to find your beat or find your your niche your niche your niche mm, however you want niche. Yeah. your niche, your niche. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have to get specific and I it's helped me realize that the way that I can get specific is by being <laughs> unspecific <laughs> by being like um or are you someone that really is, you find yourself being a creative person? I kind of sometimes look at myself as being a, like a creative doula of sorts, I guess. Mm. And showing people like how, how you should trust your creative inclinations. That's not something yeah. that you should shy away from. I know that firsthand and like, let me, let me show you how to do that or how to, mm. you're disconnected from your creativity. Let me show you how to get back to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's definitely it's definitely been it's been eye opening. It's been it is it has been super eye opening to see how I can inspire people to to chase their creative pursuits. And it's not something yeah. that I ever really thought that I did. But then I don't know. And people would be like, wow, you make me want to make music again. Or you make me want to like write more. You make me want to do this. Mm. And that, I thought that was cool. Yeah. It's like so uh, your legacy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, and I've had that experience with my own creative, like, but I think I let go because definitely with Instagram and things like that, you're just like, oh my God, I want people to validate that I'm good at stuff or this is actually cool. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of have to learn to let that go because it was holding me back because I would only make stuff. Well, I don't think I ever got too deep into it, but I would like be like thinking about what would other people think? And so I would never actually make anything for myself. Um, So that's, I think something that really, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. You kind of always have the audience while you're making it. And so it's never just you it's the audience too until you let that go you know yeah and I think one of the best like antidotes to that for me Mm. has been realizing like I I'm a fun person you know and I I love I love having fun I love making people laugh and Mm. I feel like that got really lost somewhere along the way in Mm. my writing and in my because I look at my old work and I'm like sometimes I was just way too, oh my God, woe is me. Like, mm. and I, I hate that. I hate yeah. it, but it's good to, it's good to revisit. Mm-hmm. But I hate it at the same time. Cause I'm just like, why are you so concerned with everyone giving you attention? Like grow up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but also it's necessary to see, like there were definitely some, there's some wounds there mm. that I need to, to focus in on. Um, but yeah, but I, I think the best antidote to that for me has been having fun. So lately mm-hmm. I've been like posting, um, like raps that I make because my uh, friend, yeah. friends and I, like we've been freestyling and like rapping just to be clowns yeah. and I have much fun doing it. So I've just mm-hmm. been like, you know, this is something I really enjoy. Just post it. Like, why not? Yeah. Just do it more often. Like write as much as you like freestyle as much as you want to write mm-hmm. raps as you want to. Yeah. Um, that shit feels so good yeah and I think when you make something that's just authentic like that like you didn't think about it you just had fun doing it and you just put it out it's almost like the irony of it is more people come to it or more people just do validate you because you're not trying to look for it because you're not trying to reach you yeah. know an audience that that is you know in your head so yeah. that's really cool um what would you say I'm really interested in, in the fact that you got into like end of life doula work. Like, how do you get, like, what, what was the, the, the like story of getting to that? Yeah. Um, okay. So I had, oh, I had this professor <laughs> junior year, junior or senior year, junior year. Who was year. it? Um, Catherine Gillespie. Oh, I don't know her. Oh, she was in CIS, but she mm. left. She was like, I can't do academia anymore. <laughs> She's like, it's the best know. ones that, that say that. <laughs> exactly. She saved, she saved her soul. But she was mm. so, she taught this class. It was um, race, gender, um, species, race, gender, science, species, something like that. Mm. Um, and in it, she talked about how she was a death doula. Like she was a certified mm. doula. And I really wanted to talk to her about it because I was, death had been on my mind a lot my um my father had passed away around that mm. time so death mm. was just like on my on my mind a lot 
And so I was talking to her about it and she just told me about the experience and about how um, she had learned, like being a death doula had taught her the most about listening than, mm. she, than, than, than anything else. Um, Cause they do this kind of thing in training where you, you have to listen to people and their all their hard shit, all their terrible shit, just the people that you're training with and you can't mm. respond. Like you just, you just need to listen to them. You need to make space for it. Realize how to, how to make space with things other than your words. Like mm. it is how to listen with your entire being. Um, so I thought that was really cool. And then senior year, like just being really inspired by that conversation with her. And then just thinking about like my dad, I was like, I'm going to make my, um, my, in my independent study or my senior essay about, um, about death. But I didn't really mm. know what I wanted to make it about. And I had been, I was like, I was like, I really want to make it about death and art and how I know I use art a lot to process everything, yeah. um, whether that be writing, whether that be music, whether that be um, like engaging in visual art. And so mm. I was like, okay, I really want to do something that has to do with like art and death. And then I was like, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like it was just like three o'clock in the morning or something. And I was looking at the ceiling and I was like, wow, art really does the work, like doula work in a way. Because mm. um, art helps you make sense of huge transitions. It helps you um, process things. It helps you communicate your grief to other people. Um, art is really like an OG death doula and, and, and like a, a very accessible form of of death doula-ing because I mean death doulas are predominantly white and people that have the time like people mm. that do and yeah. have so um I was thinking about that and then <laughs> and then I was thinking about okay who, who's a musician that I think is a really that, that talks about grief a lot talks about death often or at least at that time in the discography and it was Thundercat and so uh -huh. my senior essay was uh, was like Afro Afrofuturist praxis um like well, I don't remember the, the name of it was, but it was like thinking about art as being a, like doing death care work. Mm. Um, and I thought about it through the music of Thundercat. So That's that was so cool. So that research was like like writing about Thundercat for a year was like the, the <laughs> yeah so much fun, and it also taught me so much about my how I didn't realize how like un. Not, not that I'm not afraid of death. Like I am, a, I am afraid of dying often. Yeah, it's allowed me to stop thinking of death as something that's not gonna happen because it is. Mm. <laughs> it is, and um, yeah, yeah. So then after that, <laughs> <laughs> after that, I um, I knew that I wanted to get like some kind of training, and I went to this seminar about like, oh, so you want to be a death doula. And it was from this woman, Alua Arthur, who runs um, Going With Grace. And I think mm. she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's like one of the most famous, I don't think like, I don't know if famous, but well-known. Yeah, well-known. <laughs> um, death doulas. And she went to Wesleyan. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, and her sister's Bazoma St. John, who also went to Wesleyan. Wait, oh, what? <laughs> I did not know that at all. That's crazy. Uh, whoa, that is actually crazy. Right, and her sis, her sister's husband, um, passed away. Like, yeah, I saw about that. Yeah, and that was um, that's how she became. That's how she got into being a death doula. That was a big oh, part. Oh, really? Yeah. Whoa. She doing the work of being there for her, um, for her brother-in-law and the family, and she was like, "This mm -hmm. is something that I 
could see myself doing. So in, in the seminar, she's talking about this and she's talking about like um, being there for people in a time where everyone seems like if someone's terminally ill mm-hmm. and everyone around them's like, no, like you're gonna make it, you gotta hold on for us. And it's it's gaslighting in a sense. Yeah. It's absolutely about to about to transition. And yeah. you're taught you're I don't know, you're giving them a kind of hope that like yeah it's kind of like this non-acceptance exactly exactly yeah. it doesn't do anything for the dying person it mm. makes them feel isolated makes them feel super lonely mm. so she was talking about this and I was like that's a kind of a kind of a person I want to be for someone someone mm. to tell you that like things are going to be okay but tell you that like this but tell you they will be in the sense that like we know what's about to happen let's make this a fucking party let's make this a yeah party. <laughs> yeah everything that you want it to be and everything that you ever thought you couldn't have we're gonna bring it into this like mm. you know and the idea of doing that for someone being that person for someone was so appealing to me when she was talking about it and so mm. then i found out that um the community college here had an end of in philly has an end of life certificate so I was like, okay, let me do this because I can't really do anything in person right now and just get like the, the theoretical, the con- the conceptual background for stuff. So I'm ready when things are more open. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I've, I think I, I've been thinking about a lot, a lot about it too, just because the past year, it feels like, I, I think the past year, the hardest thing is that we're confronted with the fact that we're going to die one day mm-hmm. and it's no longer like we can't just like look away you know and ignore it um and I had a really hard time you know because we don't grow up like honoring death and respecting it and accepting it as something that is just a part of life and so I I think I that's why I'm so interested in in the like death doula work because you know that is just intentionally going into the space and being there for somebody and like you said like not denying it and not not trying to just you know, isolate this person, gaslight this person who who is trying to process, you know, even if they don't die right then, they want to process the fact like now they're having to face it so like in their face. Um, yeah. So that's really cool that you're doing that work. Yeah, and my, I think I also, my mom has been such a huge um, influence for the death doula work I want to do because mm. my mom is definitely like a care worker in mm. for- for her old profession and also just like as a person <laughs> um and so my mom used to do certified home health aid work so she would go stay mm-hmm. at the ill patient's house like a, mm-hmm. like a patient she worked with a lot of alzheimer's patients and i would be around her like visiting her at work and i would see her caring for this dying person and then also see her like not in her job description but like people's families would come to her like crying or being like i don't know what to mm-hmm. do and i'd see my mom like talk to them like talk them through it and not be like you know they're not gonna die because like yeah want to, but just be just to be there just to listen yeah. and so seeing my mom do that and also being around people that were going to pass away soon definitely mm-hmm. had a huge influence on unwilling to be a death doula oh, yeah. yeah that seems almost like just it lined up perfectly and then you have this professor yeah and that's really cool yeah. yeah I think I think um I think that work is really important I think because I think about when I came to just like I'm gonna intentionally you know face my fear of death 
Mm -hmm. um, it was because every day I would be like on Twitter and it's like someone else died. And so, you know, just, but it, it, you know, people die every day, even before the pandemic. Right. But I think because it was just so every day, like, and, and the way that story, that's the thing I realized like, oh, this is a story. This is a story that's being told that like, this is horrifying. This is, uh, and I'm not saying it's good, but like, you know, if you heard my first episode, it's not good and it's not bad. It just yes. is. And I, I had to accept that then and, and, and realize, you know, we, we exist in a society in which, you know, capitalism loves your fear of death because then you can use things to kind of, you know, if you have this amazing life, you, it's almost like you never die. Mm -hmm. Um, and you're never close to dying. And so, so I realized just all these connections of, of our fear of death is almost like fundamental to why we suffer in life. Like if you can't honor death, you can't honor life and be present in life. Yeah. Um, so I thought that that was a part of my healing journey because I realized how deep that fear was. Yeah, ab absolutely for me too. Absolutely for me too. Because mm. a huge part of realizing that I want to die well, mm. is, it, it makes me want to live well. It makes exactly. me want to it makes me want to be like, I don't think that I should be a hashtag or I don't think anyone else should become a hashtag. I don't think that should be the the final moments of my life or my legacy. I don't, mm -hmm. knowing those things make me want to fight for myself in this moment. It, it makes me want to fight for other people in this moment. Um, and that's like, that's, yeah, that's one of the most powerful things that's come out of knowing that I am someone who deserves to die well and that people deserve to, to deserve to die in a way that they see fit to have control in that. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, I think about like, even when I do get scared of like that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm going to die one day. Mm -hmm. It always, you know, the practice of bringing yourself back to the present moment. Mm -hmm. It's like death almost allows you to easily come back and you're like, well, I'm alive right now and I'm here right now. And then it's almost like everything around you becomes so much more sacred because you're like, wow, I didn't have to be here and I am. And I think, so I think people don't, you know, people are horrified by death still. Um, but I think, yeah, exactly. And it's like, it, and I, I think people think, well, if I'm not horrified by it, then it's like, I want it. I love it. And I don't want it, you know, but it's, it's, it's that there, there is a place where you're at peace with it. And and we can be at peace with it, not when we die or when we face the moment of death and you just accept it or something. You can be at peace with it throughout your life, even if you don't feel like you're in close proximity to it. So I think, yeah, the work that you're doing, just, yeah, this this non-resistance, it's not like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. It's really so vital, like, for people, for, for yeah, for people who have been honestly traumatized from this constant fear of death um, in society. So that's really awesome. Um, has it been, I guess, for you personally, a hard thing to go through this like certification and learning about these things? Or do you feel like because maybe you saw it growing up with your mom, it was maybe not as hard? Um, it wasn't hard in the way of, of... it wasn't hard. It wasn't mm. hard. Uh, I actually think the hardest part was um, seeing like what kind of death doula I would be. And I actually. Mm. Uh, the conclusion of I can't be a death doula. As of this moment, I can't be a death doula for like for dying children, mm. uh, which is, and I know I'm like, I, I can't. <laughs> Cause like when I was going through that section, going through those discussions, I felt like I just kept picturing my nephew and I was like, I can't. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, because there's something about about dying children yeah. too morbid. No matter yeah. what are, no matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't feel natural. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. Yeah. I feel, and I feel that too. I feel like those were the hardest when I would see stories. Like those were the hardest ones to process, and because I, yeah, I think. I think, and then I, I think about, so I had a hard time with that too. Um, and I was like, okay, this just makes me so devastated that even ju- just the fact that a lot of young kids are put in situations where they are constantly dying, you know, through trauma or through the situations they're going through because of, because the, you know, us adults, older, we won't heal. We won't heal. And we put them in those situations and it just, uh, you know, it breaks my heart. And I'm just, so every time uh, it sounds crazy, but like every time I think about, you know, oh, this is so hard. This is so hard. I don't want to do this healing and changing and, and, you know, all this growth anymore. I think about the fact that it's not just about me. It's literally not just about me. And, and again, the death, the, the fact that people die, you know, sometimes it just happens, but just sometimes it is systemic, right? It's some, it's like, it's, part of the system that people die in certain ways and I'm just like okay it does it just matters more than me to heal and I think that has been like a really big just knowing that's bigger than me have you had that anything similar to that absolutely because I think um like you're saying dying in different ways like death um there's biological death like you know your physical Mm -hmm. body but there's also Mm -hmm. psychological death and emotional death Mm -hmm. um social death there are all these things like you're cut off from yourself and your sense of self and from other people to the point where you, you, you're unable to communicate who you are or who mm. you're completely cut off from that. And that kills, that, that kills you. That's not exaggeration. Like you exactly. don't want to do anything. You don't want to speak to anyone. You don't want to live your life. Um, and so making that realization of like biological Biological death is one way that, I, that I'll die, for sure. Mm. But I have to go through these other forms of death. And so creativity, being creative, writing are definitely ways of me healing that, like ensuring mm. that I am, I'm making those connections with myself and others. Mm. Um, and so going, going through that has been hard and but necessary. And then mm. also um, something you just reminded me of, of it was definitely you that put it on your story of mm-hmm. the um the like trauma can pass through generations but so so can healing mm-hmm. um, and that was like that was actually very that was like yesterday or two days ago and that was like, yeah. so, that was so profound to me I was just like like I definitely knew this in the back of my head but seeing it right now makes so much sense it mm-hmm. is like my healing your healing is going to save lives in the mm-hmm. way that trauma that's passed through generations has ended lives exactly um, and, and it just, I know that really shook a chord for me. That really shook a chord for me. And it, it just reinforced the, I want, I want people to be able to, to do whatever they can in order to connect with that sense, that sense of community and sense of self. Mm. Whatever they can to keep them alive and living and living well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I, th- I think we have bought into the story that we don't deserve that until we earn it. 
And so we kill ourselves our whole lives trying to earn just being worthy of living in peace. And I realized, oh, like, I believe that. Like, I truly believe that deep down in a, it, like, conditioned in my head that, oh, no, 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 no. Like, life can't be good unless I worked for it really hard because there's not enough to go around. So if I work really hard and other people don't, then I get it and they don't. And it's this this killing. And so we kill each other on a daily basis. We put each other down. Like you said, it's like a social killing. Like, we feel good not forgiving people, excluding people, like, making jokes about people because it makes us feel like, okay, cool. I put them below me. So I'm next on the list for a peaceful life. I'm next, on, God got me next on the list. And then you, I think you have to, when you get to a certain point where you just can't, you're just like, I can't, I can't keep trying to get on, up on this list. And you realize, oh, there's no list. Oh my God. Then what is, well, then what is, what is life? Right. Awesome. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, you're just living it. You're just living. And I think that was for me. Like I, I felt that I felt like I kept being in places where I was like, I don't feel like I'm, I don't know who I am. I feel like I'm playing a character. I feel like I'm in this movie and somebody else is controlling it and I don't know what's going on. And, and I, I see that with a lot of healing journeys, it's this moment where you just can't bear it anymore and you yep. just have to change. And you don't so, realize how wild that is until like you're, you're scrolling through Twitter and you see someone being like, oh, you think like, you know, money should be given to you. like security and, and and safety should be given to you you got like mm. you're reading it and you're like what is wrong with you like <laughs> what are you? but we do it to ourselves all the time mm-hmm. all the time of like you know i gotta stay up late i gotta like do this or or romantically um i, I have to stay with this person through the worst of times and mm. like i stay by their side because that's what proves that i'm a good partner i'm a good person but mm. no it should not be that difficult <laughs> mm, exactly <laughs> I shouldn't be like crying at 4 a.m. <laughs> All the time. Yeah, exactly. Like suffering. And, and there's a, yeah, I think because we, we can't even distinguish the, the like suffering and then just maybe working hard where sometimes it's uncomfortable. We can't distinguish it because we're like, okay, the more uncomfortable I feel, the more that I earn it, you know, the more that I deserve it later when I get it. And so nobody can take it from me because I earned it. Mm-hmm. And that kills us because we we don't experience the world we just are like thinking about the next moment where we can do more things like you said like stay up late like and so you never are actually living in your life you're always living in your head imagining mm-hmm, the net the net and so yeah i think but i it's like with death you're maybe you don't get a next moment and then a lot of people don't a lot of people think tomorrow i'm I'll do that tomorrow. I'll go see them tomorrow. I'll do what I want tomorrow. Right now I'm going to, you know, do all these other things that I don't want to do. And, and I think, I think that's another thing that like death is like a gift. I see almost like not the one that I want right now, but (laughs) because it exists and because I have to face it one day, it's a gift that I can remember that one day I will not have anything I have now. So I can appreciate it so much more now. And yeah, I think, yeah and and like you said art creation i'm like we want to live forever and create art what we create will outlast us even if the physical thing won't outlast us the fact that it changed somebody right that it healed somebody that's the power of it right and that's the i think a lot of people think about legacy with their with um their big their face on it like at the Mm. front about it in a very individual way but the idea of um something i love to think about is you know like 
um, everything I eat makes me like stronger, makes me better, whatever. It becomes mm. a part of me. When I die, it becomes a part of the earth. That'll give mm. like give new life to something else. And it's gonna be, it's gonna keep on going. I mean, I mean, the way mm. climate is going, I don't know what's gonna happen. Mm. <laughs> However, yeah. um, I'm I'm always gonna be a part of this world. Maybe mm. not it's like Rachel Godfrey and that's okay like yeah look at how I'm benefiting benefiting the world and making making space for new things to live and to breathe like yeah. just by being myself just by mm-hmm. being myself. exactly and that's the thing that was always going to be the case always and people are like I don't want to hear it. and I'm like but that was always going to happen that you were always going to die and I think I think you know a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of fear mongering sometimes around the fact that people believe they weren't going to die. Now, all of a sudden, now you're going to die, guys. Oh my God. And it's like, well, we were always going to die. So why keep people in fear when we could talk about it openly about our fear of death Mm -hmm. and about just healing through that? Because, you know, we're, we're not, you know, there's been many cultures beyond just the western american empire that that accepted death and they were and so allowed them to be in peace in life um and i think that that we forget that we forget that we have like other people have had you know healing and just been actively present with the earth and always knew that they were going to die and become part of the earth again and they had they so they held everything to be very sacred and we don't hold anything to be sacred. We we think everything will last forever. And so we don't care. We just, you know, and I think that's so crazy because it, it produces all the problems that we have. I think every problem that we have, it's kind of this denial that things end. Um, and because we think, okay, it ends and then it's done. And then we'd never see, oh, but then it goes back into the earth and you exist in a different way. Um, so I think that's really beautiful that you say that, 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 you know, you're always conscious of, you know, maybe my, I would say, you know, our ego dies because, you know, we it's like, I'm Olivia and I'm here and I'm this. Maybe that ends, but you, the truer thing that you are, it still keeps, it's it's infinite, you know, and that gets into woo-woo stuff, but that's what I, I think <laughs> with with death and, and afterlife and things like that, for sure. And that's why some, something that really freaks me out actually is, um, mm. is, um, so I, I'm very interested in, in, in design and technology that makes our lives better, mm. um, makes things more accessible to us. Mm. Something that really freaks me out is um, people that are looking more and more into freezing so that they can like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like people that want to freeze themselves like, like a fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, normally I'm really not like a, I'm very far from being uh, like an anti- anti-innovation you know uh-huh. <laughs> that doesn't need to happen <laughs> and i think because why why do you want that why for con- i think for control mm-hmm. i think the idea of i'm gonna outlast all you fuckers is like mm-hmm. really strong for people but there's literally there's no need you're trying to deny yourself the, uh, you're trying to deny yourself an opportunity really mm. To, to give back to give yourself back to the universe and to exactly. give exactly beyond your control you're trying mm. you're trying you're doing too much <laughs> yeah. you're doing a lot <laughs> so that that's something that really freaks me out and when i think mm. about 
feel so strange. Also, feel, it makes me feel strange because the people that are going to have access to freezing themselves is going to be a bunch of like random rich white people. Like, mm-hmm. what? the last? <laughs> if they unfreeze, they're going to be like, oh, y'all, y'all aren't relevant anymore. That was way back in the day. <laughs> no, yeah, but but I think, and that's interesting because I think with technology, I don't, I think we think there's like almost like a binary of like, you know, technology or just no technology and no progress. We just stop and we're right here. And it's like, technology is a part of our, like, it's, it's always been people, you know, technology wasn't always just computer. Like it's any innovation that we, yeah, material that we use to, like you said, be, make things more accessible and just change our experience of life. But the core of the issues I think are, is like, why are you creating this innovation? Exactly. Um, the end it's intention you know what i'm saying salons you know do nothing without intention that's <laughs> that whole thing that's that whole thing but she, yeah i i agree like there's so many things that are created and it's like why was that created and why was why do you want it to be used in the way you think it could be used yeah. and is it just a wound that you could just heal real quick instead of doing all this but it, 10 well 9.5 out of 10 times is it absolutely exactly <laughs> I think about that with plastic. I think about the innovation of plastic mm-hmm. being a denial of death. Like, I want this material to last beyond me. So I never even have to experience this ending. And so it's almost like a denial of an ending. Mm-hmm. And so we buy plastic things and we just throw them away because the, in our minds, you know, they last forever. So they're not sacred, you know, something that's sacred and it, it doesn't, it's fragile. We hold, we literally put on a, you know, in a case or something like we are, it's sacred to us. Plastic isn't. And it's a denial of the truth. I think of the world that everything is sacred. Um, everything ends. And so it kind of like backfired because it's like, look, now it's creating all these problems uh, on our lives because we wouldn't accept materials around this ending so now it's like well something's got to end you know so I don't think things will end I truly believe that people are going through a collective just consciousness changing because they're seeing like oh my god all these things I was doing were just to heal wounds because I I can't face these things I think death is at the core of it um, but it's so interesting, yeah, because technologically, like, I think plastic is just a, so, like, whatever, the way it came to be in our modern society was because of a wound, a fear of endings, of change, of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that one's, like, just a random one, no, but no. I think it's cool. I think it's cool that you're, and you're really interested in, like, technology, and, and I think just mixing just your artistic, like, self, I feel like you're just naturally talented and creative. Um, mixing that with just technological, you know, the technological realm, which we never associate, I think, with, you know, the creative and beautiful is really cool. Do you see, like, I, I don't know, how did you get interested in, like, technological stuff? Yeah, um, well, for, I did science and society also when I was in mm. college. I didn't, I didn't finish the major. <laughs> Who but, did? No, I'm just <laughs> Yeah, that's true. But, um, but it did, it, it like, it literally just picked up everything I thought about the world and just like through it. I mean, I always, I always was like something about this, this science, medicine, technology, something about mm. the, um, the hold it has in the world and the way it mm. does is kind of freaky where it's not even looked at as like, um, look at these tools that can teach us about the world. It's more like, look at these things that they control the world and they're going to set us. 
I always knew that that was the case just from my experience of being like being fat and black mm. in medical problems. <laughs> mm. so I knew that, but um, yeah. the part that really fascinated me was learning about um, learning about tech, specifically from um, Matali Thakur, who was in the Science Society um, program. Mm. But they would always talk about they'd always tell us about how. Um, things like AI or things that things that seem like really cool innovations, um, the how they would backfire and mm. people, people would use them in order to like track other people yeah. or to surveil other people or to um, to keep a hold on others. It's so like I think thinking, thinking about technology in that way made me really scared of it. Mm. Um, and then with time, uh, I would see, I don't know, I would see tech pop up in, in different ways, especially through the pandemic. You'd see yeah. like, like mutual aid funds pop up and see people get connected to these opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And mm. so that made me like kind of regain a bit of faith um, yeah. in technology. And then I, I now, oh, sorry, let me not say ill to my job, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but like my other job which is in, in IT which mm. is um with IT you a part of it is just like you know being around computers like fixing computers and stuff but the mm. other part of it is engaging with people who have never had a computer or are, mm. so this, is, this is their first one they're just trying to figure out like what to do they're just trying to log into school when they can't like yeah um that part made me realize like how how technology is can be so helpful and mm. would be so helpful if more people like but there are people that have never had the opportunity to learn how to use it um mm. so, so just the experience of working in the the, the school district and i um, helping people like use their first computer yeah um so like that made me really interested in technology and like in that kind of way in a support kind of way and mm. then also um there's this this woman who i'd been following for a while who runs this publication taboo tech and oh. she says taboo because um mm. she's different she's foreign <laughs> <laughs> foreign to me <laughs> and she would write about all these these like innovators and, and entrepreneurs who were doing like super, super cool stuff with tech that I'd never even thought about, like mm. making toys specifically for disabled people. Mm. Um, because that's like something, cause there's like you, you lose dexterity or you can't, you can't do things the way you used to, but you still deserve yeah. pleasure. Mm. So people that were thinking like that, um, just like thinking around that kind of problem, that was fascinating. Mm. And so I reached out to her and I was like, I really would love to like do an internship with you. Like anything you have the time for, like, please. Mm. Like, work with you and she like has taken me under her wing Aww. and and I've just like like every day I am I am my mind in terms of how create creativity can be used for problem solving is just like blown every day mm. about how creativity is problem solving whether it just be like emotional or a social problem mm. she yeah so so I think this like the work that I'm doing now with taboo tech has been yeah, just, just mind-blowing in terms of thinking mm. about technology and creativity come together. Yeah, yeah, and that's interesting you talk about just kind of how you had a fear of technology because you saw how it could be used. And that's the thing, I think, that, yeah, humans, when we're wounded, will use anything mm -hmm. to fill 
when we don't know who we are, we need to abuse and consume of whatever we can um, to feel like we're in control, to feel like we're wanted to fulfill these wounds that we have. But when it's technology is just seen as tools, in addition to the fact that I already know that I am whole and complete and I'm just experiencing life and I just want others to also experience the beauty of life. Mm -hmm. I think that's where things, you know, that's the kind of difference. But yeah, I think that's why I think fundamentally healing your own wounds, just it, it changes, you know, the entire world. And we think about, you know, I think about how, yeah, like you're saying like this, this place that you work at, it's just like that just in itself, you know, people in the mainstream don't think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is just this true come, it seems like it comes from this true place of like, I experience pleasure, I want others to also experience that. So where can I fill in the gap? Where can I build the bridge between where that's not being met? And yeah. that's just our true human nature to just help each other experience life more, I think. Um, so I definitely think that's like the difference, you know? Yeah, and then like learning, well, the other, like we are talking about death tech with the freezing, mm -hmm. then we have like the other side of death tech where you have people who are like, I know how stressful and terrible the process of like, we're, like someone has just died. Mm -hmm. I now have all this grief, but I also have all these like really practical things I have to deal with, yeah. um, like planning their funeral or like writing, like writing a will for someone before mm -hmm. they're about to um all this stuff and you have people like making making apps that you can like write the will online or they can help you plan mm -hmm. and um stuff like that or something that can help some like help you erase someone's online presence once they're gone mm -hmm. facilitate that process they're like stuff like that it's so human and yeah. like something that people need help with and that like mm -hmm. unless you have a like a lawyer friend or um mm -hmm. someone who really just knows all that stuff or you have a death doula because a lot of death doulas mm -hmm. are too um yeah. it's really hard to figure that out so seeing mm -hmm. people make that kind of thing easier is also just mind-blowing to me yeah exactly do you and so do you uh with uh i guess the technological side do you have any i guess if you could create something just didn't you know didn't have to do the if you, just if you could imagine something uh that would i guess align to what you want to see where technology go do you have any ideas of what that would be Oh my god! I mean, I have like I have like a small dream, but it's not really it's not really profound. It really isn't mm. like, like a. <laughs> 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 it's definitely very far from being like um like citizens of folks or yeah. But I would love to make um make an app for people with locks um mm -hmm. that are going through lock journeys just to mm. help build a regimen and maintain your hair um yeah. I would love to build that and it's not profound but I mean for people that go through lock journeys yeah it is like it is a huge spiritual a huge it's a huge spiritual process at least yeah. not a lot of people that I've talked to and have seen go through it and so just the idea of like connecting with people in this way we're not like you know, scouring YouTube and then like trying to figure stuff out and you're sticking mm. like just to have a place where you can connect with other people, build a regimen sounds really cool. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing you say it's not profound, but like you said, like it is for people who are going through the journey. And yeah, I think the only reason we sometimes think our, our ideas aren't profound is because they're not in the mainstream. They're not profound to the mainstream. Um, but I definitely think that would be so cool if you if you created that. And that's the thing, like 
the fact that you are going through that is what makes it so genuine and would allow people to connect with it so deeply. And then, so what is profound, like if that's all it is, right? So create that. <laughs> yeah, but that's really so cool. Um, well, yeah, I think this was an amazing interview. I love talking to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really, you know, I, I obviously follow your stuff on um, Instagram and stuff and I love reading your stuff, but I, it's so nice to like actually hear like what's maybe kind of going on. I feel because when, when you're on social media, you're just kind of like, oh, they're doing stuff, but you're just like, what's, what's actually going on? Like, what are they living in their daily life type of thing? So thank you for having conversation thank you for like thank you for inviting me yeah of course i was like oh my god rachel yes like a guest of honor over here okay thank you so much rachel thank you to the listeners for listening to this interview i hope you liked it do you have any last words you want to say rachel um i would say whatever you're doing and whatever you want to do just make sure that you slow down and enjoy the now mm, period yes thank you for that yeah go live in the now right right now take off your headphones go take a walk